I'll tell you what, that's so relaxing and uh, just puts you in a, your mind in a good place. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter number 14. Well, this is week 14 or 15, 14 or 15 messages that we've had on the subject of prayer. And uh, I, I don't know how long we could go, and we're not going to turn it into some kind of a contest, but... Uh, it would be easy to go another eight or ten weeks, but I think we're going to wrap up this study uh, with a couple more messages after tonight. So probably two more, and uh, then we'll be starting on something different after that. Now, so far we've talked about uh, several different aspects of prayer. Uh, we started out with a message entitled, A Prayer Request from Jesus. And we talked about the house of prayer and uh, just a lot of other things. The subject tonight is probably going to, well, maybe be the most unusual uh, message that you've ever heard on the subject of prayer. Uh, one that uh, just at first, at first glance doesn't seem to, uh, to really make any sense. We want to talk tonight about prohibited prayer prohibited prayer. It seems strange because, you know, we've already talked about, I mentioned several times, the Bible tells us to persist in prayer, that we're to pray always. Uh, so we're always to be in a spirit of prayer, and that's what the Bible tells us to do. But there actually are times when, uh, at least in regards to certain things, that God prohibits prayer. And so the same Bible that tells us to pray without ceasing tells us that there are times that uh, we're to cease in our praying. So we're going to look at, uh, at four or five of those tonight. Exodus chapter number 14. Here's, here's the, first, the first time that uh, God prohibits us uh, from prayer, and that's when you ought to rise up and take action. Notice verse number 15, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Why do you cry unto me? Now, you consider the situation that Moses and his people were in. Remember, they're standing at the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is closing in on them. There was nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, no place to go. Death seemed inevitable. The people were afraid, but not just afraid, they're angry. They're bickering amongst themselves. They're criticizing Moses. They're displeased with God. I mean, everything is going wrong. And so, at the same time, he is trying to reassure the people that God is going to give them the victory. Uh, here we see Moses crying out, asking God for help. Now, who wouldn't pray at a time like that? I mean, anyone would. That we, we think in our mind, well, now's the time to pray. Everything's going wrong. But look at verse 15 and 16. 
He says, Wherefore Christ thou unto me, speaking of the children of Israel, that they go forward, but lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. In other words, God is telling him, Stop praying and take action. Stop praying and take action. Now, having a prayer meeting at the Red Sea might have seemed like a spiritual thing to do to some folks. Moses could have said, folks, we're in dire straits, and in this great time of need, I recommend that we all get in a circle and join hands and all pray to God that He'll get us out of this mess. But although although that might have seemed spiritual, God wasn't interested in that. It wasn't what God wanted, and it wasn't what they needed. And so God tells them to go forward. Notice, He doesn't say, kneel down in prayer. He doesn't say, call upon me, and I'll answer and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God just says, get going. You know, it ought to be easy for us to see that there are numerous applications that could be made in regards to this. And here's the point I'm trying to make, and that is that praying without taking appropriate action is useless. We've already stated the fact that everything depends on prayer, and I believe that it does. We can't do anything successfully if we're not going to pray But by the same token, it's kind of like the old story that God feeds a sparrow, but He doesn't throw the worm in the nest. And so if we're going to pray, we need to put some feet to our prayers, and we need to do what pertains to what we're asking God to do, take appropriate action. If the water pipe is broken, what do we need? (laughs) We need a plumber. Uh, we, we need a plumber. That's what we need. I, we wouldn't do any good. We'd say, okay, folks, uh, I, I just got a call. The, by the way, for those of you that don't know our first service in this building, that's exactly what happened here. We were flooded in here the very first week. And somebody could have said, oh, my, we are in a terrible mess. Let's all go over to the gym and pray. And uh, we could have spent all of our time praying. But we needed something besides that. Uh, somebody could be destitute, for example. There's no food on the table, and uh, they're destitute. They can't pay their bills. And, you know, we ought to pray about that, most certainly. But if that's all you do, if that's all you do, you're never going to get what you need because God expects us to work. And so, you know, there are people, you know, by the way, say, well, you know, I've been praying God would do this, and I've been praying God would do that. And at the same time, as a situation here a while back, someone, uh, somebody had quit their job. I'm in a job they need. Look, let me give you some good advice. I don't need to. I'm talking to you like teenagers now. And forgive me, I'm sorry for doing that. But you don't ever quit a job if you don't have a job to go to. You know, if you don't have somewhere to go, and and this, this nonsense, you know, and, and and I blame a lot of the public schools uh, several years ago, they started teaching this philosophy, you know, find something that you like to do and you'll never have to work a day in your life. And, and don't take a job that you don't enjoy. Well, let me tell you that sometimes if you're going to eat, you've got to do things that are not that are not enjoyable. 
And so we can just pray and pray, oh dear God, supply my needs. But look folks, we need to work. It might be that someone is lonely, you know, and, uh, and what they need is, is, is a friend. And we can sit back and pray, you know, dear God, that person is so lonely and I can just see it in their face. I hear it in their voice. And, and in fact, maybe they've expressed that. I'm lonely. I need, I had somebody say that just this week. Just this week. I heard somebody say, I'm so lonely. I, I don't, I don't have any friends. Well, you know what they need? They need somebody to be their friend. You can, you can just say, well, you know, I'm going to pray for you. And, uh, we, we all like to hear somebody say that. But it's one thing to pray for somebody. It's another thing to be the friend that they need. If somebody is hungry, you know, it's fine to pray for them, but they need food. If somebody's bleeding to death, uh, you know, they need a tourniquet. They, they need help. Uh, several years ago, one of the, my co-workers, uh, we were working on Highway 65, and uh, I walked this way, and the asphalt truck was backing into the uh, into the spreader, and I went down this side, and he was coming up this side, and some way he crossed over and stepped right in behind that, and it just chewed him up and spit him out. I just a horrible, terrible sight, and I wasn't a Christian at that time, but but I'll, I'll never forget. I'll never forget one of the one one of the men that worked for the contractor there, just a common laborer, he ran over to his side. He got right down and he began to uh, ask him questions like, do you know the Lord? And talking to him about the Lord. And I had no idea what it was all about. And then this fellow started praying. And, and, and so obviously he was taking an interest in that man. But look, Jim needed something. He needed prayer. But he needed something more than prayer. He needed treatment. Well, as it were, uh, he died. He never made it to the hospital. But what I'm saying is, if someone is bleeding to death, they need assistance. They need a tourniquet. They need aid. Uh, the same thing's true for somebody that's lost. We ought to pray for those that are unsaved. The Bible tells us to do that. We need to pray that our loved ones will come to know Christ as their Savior. But if that's all we ever do, that's never going to be enough. The Bible tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We need to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's one thing to just sit back and pray, Oh, dear Lord, you know, my son or daughter, my neighbor or whoever it is, they're lost and I'm so burdened for them. Oh, dear God, save their soul. Now, God wants to save their soul. Make no mistake about that. God would save their soul, but God has entrusted His people with the gospel. And so I, Paul said, I'm a debtor unto all men. I have an obligation to the Greeks and, uh, and to the Jews, to all men. I have an obligation to share with them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's one thing for us, you know, as a church to say, well, we're going to have a special time of prayer and we're going to just, uh, let's say meet every Monday night and for two hours we're going to, we're going to pray that God will save the lost. Not a thing in the world wrong with that. We might ought to do that, but that, the point is, if that's all we do, 
you know, it's not enough. At some point in time, we've got to stop praying, get up off of our knees, and go out here and mix and mingle with people and share with them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in the instance here concerning Moses, we see very clearly that God is telling him that you ought to rise up, take action. But turn in your Bibles now, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 3. And here, here we find another example, uh, and it just so happens that it's from the life of Moses again. Deuteronomy chapter number three, and this time I want you to look in verse number, verse number 26. Verse number 26. And it says, But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes, and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, Let it uh, suffice thee, speak no more unto me of this matter. Now, let me help you get the picture here, because we find Moses praying, and what he's praying for is that he too might be allowed to enter into the promised land. Now, if you're not familiar with the story you know, that might seem like a reasonable request. I mean, why wouldn't he pray that way? I mean, who wouldn't want to enter into the promised land? But for those that know the story, you see quickly that this is a misguided prayer, and the reason is explained in Numbers chapter number 20, because there we see that, you remember that God told Moses to, the people are needing water, and so he tells Moses to speak into the rock, well, Moses lost his temper and he smote the rock. And because of that, because of his disobedience to God, God said, you're not going to enter into the promised land. In other words, the result of his fit of anger is that, that God forbid him from personally entering into the promised land. So the second time prayer is prohibited is when we ought to resign ourselves to the will of God. We ought to resign ourselves to the will of God. Now let's give Moses some credit here because he knew that neither he nor those over the age of 20 were going to enter into the promised land, right? I mean, they had the opportunity. You remember the story and they said, oh no, I sent the spies out, the spies came back. Said, yeah, it's, it's, it's everything, it's everything we've been told, but there are giants in the land. We can't go over there. They're going to squash us. And, and no one but Caleb and Joshua, you know, had the faith to say, that's okay, you know, God's on our side. We'll get the victory. So they, they refused to enter and God said, all right, all of those over the age of 20, uh, you're not going in. And keep this in mind. Moses now knows that those over the age of 20 are not going in, and he knows that he's not going in, but it did not stop him from from leading the people and doing what he could. Think of that. I mean, there's no personal gain in this for him. And, and still he doesn't quit. And I've often thought, what a remarkable thing that is, because... There have been a lot of times, you know, that whenever we see that our efforts are futile and, and, and there's nothing in it for us, why we think, well, it's time to give up. It's time to resign. I, I'm not getting anything out of this. And it would be a difficult thing 
You know, I've known preachers over the years. I've known a, a, a large number of preachers that got mad about something and ended up resigning the church. They, you know, they didn't like this or they didn't like that. It might be, you know, they whether the church cut their salary or didn't give them a raise, didn't give them a birthday gift, didn't do this, didn't do that, and they got so hurt and offended by it, they just quit. And uh, how sad it is when you see someone give up on the ministry, and I've got a dear friend right now, and, 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 and I think about him all of the time. Instead of pastoring in church, well, I won't even say what he's doing because some of you know him, and I, I don't want to drag his name into it, but he's doing something entirely different than ministry now, all because he got his feelings hurt over a building program, and how sad that is. Give Moses some credit. I mean, even though he's not going to go in and remember uh, 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 what he's putting up with. (laughs) These aren't the easiest people in all of the world to lead. Uh, I, I mean, they are known for their murmuring and their complaining. There's always something wrong, and and... So Moses now, for whatever reason, Moses now is thinking maybe, maybe, maybe there's a chance that God will let me go in and, and he's praying for an entrance into the land of Canaan. And God's message to Moses was this, look, I'm not changing my mind. This is not negotiable. Get used to it. Get used to it. In other words, this is my will. I've already issued the decree that you're not going into the promised land. Stop praying about it. Don't ask me about it anymore. Now, if we're honest, we'd all have to admit that sometimes we're guilty of doing what Moses did. We try to persuade God to repent. We try to get Him to do things that are contrary to His purpose. And, and, you know, you look back at that story, and it might be that, you know, in your mind you're trying to reason it out, and it might seem that it's unreasonable on God's part. I mean, after all, He, he didn't slit anybody's throat. He didn't run off with some man's wife. Uh, he didn't rob a bank. I mean, He didn't do some of these things that we consider awful, terrible, horrible things. And and yet, for what seems to be a minor offense, God says, you're not going to enter into the promised land. But let me assure you that even though you and I do not understand it, God knew exactly what He was doing. God had to impress upon those people that I am not going to tolerate disobedience. And in other words, when you don't obey me, there's going to be a price to pay. And let me tell you, whenever God makes up His mind to do something, we can just keep murmuring and complaining about it all we want, but God's not going to change His mind. A lot of times God expects us to endure difficult situations without any question, without any complaint, uh, without any prayer for change. In other words that we need to learn to accept whatever God allows or whatever God causes. Look in verse number 29 for just a moment, and you'll see that he came to his senses and he accepted what God said. Notice he says here, 
But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all of thy heart and with all of thy soul. And so here he is speaking to the people and encouraging them, knowing full well that he's not going to enter into the promised land himself, but uh, at the same time accepting what God allows. And it would have been real easy, you know, for Moses to have said, look, I'm not putting up with this any longer, you know, I'm, I, I'm just going to quit. And there are a lot of times we find ourselves in difficult situations. There are times that people find themselves in a difficult marriage and they would like to get out of it. They might even pray that God would get them out of it. And I've had people, you know, come to me on many occasions over the years and say something like, you know, we got married when we were young and we didn't know what uh, you know, what to expect. We really didn't know what to do. And uh, I, I discovered later that I, I really didn't love her. I married a woman that I didn't love. And uh, so we're, we're just going to get a divorce. Well, let me tell you right now, uh, it it's not that simple. It's not that cut and dried. Let me assure you, for you to pray, Oh, dear God, you know, I, I'm in this difficult marriage uh and and I want out. Don't you think for one minute that God's going to say, well, you know, I understand and uh, I'm going to give you the liberty to go ahead and, and get a divorce. Uh, I, I'm so glad over the years I've never, ever one time ever suggested that that a man or woman ever get a divorce. Never. I suspect that I never will. Now, there have been instances, because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking about the horrible situation some women find themselves in and some brute of a man is using her as a punching bag and what have you. And uh, I've, I've, I've told some women, look, you need to get out of the house and you need to get somewhere else. And uh, you need to take care of yourself and the children. You need to protect them. That has happened and I think I'm justified in making a suggestion like that. But I'm not justified in going against what the Bible teaches about marriage and telling them, well, since you're in such a difficult relationship, you know, I just suggest that you get out of it. You know, the marital relationship is just one example. It could have to do with vocational problems. Somebody's got a job that they don't like. You know, the truth is they would rather work half the hours for twice the pay. You know, <laughs> that, that's what they would really like. And so, uh, let me tell you, it's not going to do you any good to pray that God's going to give you a job, if uh, a different job, if that's your motivation. It might have to do with being disgruntled about the church or whatever it is. But the point is, there are times that we need to stop praying about our own selfish desires and what have you, and accept what God allows and adjust to that situation. That's what Moses had to do. He had to get to the point that, look, I made the mistake, you know, and this is what God decreed, and I'm willing to accept that. There's no need in me praying about it any longer. I accept it, and in the acceptance of it, I'm going to adjust my lifestyle to it. I'm going to do what is right 
regardless of how uncomfortable it might be for me, regardless of how difficult it might be. And so let's not keep praying, asking God, you know, to do things uh, that that we know is not in accordance with what He has already decreed. I've had people come to me and say, young couples, you know, and say, well, we're going to get married. I, I, you know, I know what the Bible says, uh, uh, preacher, and I know what you believe about me marrying this uh, uh, someone, and she's not a Baptist, she's a Catholic or Mormon or uh, Jehovah's Witness or whatever it is. But but I love her so much, and I've had some young ladies tell me I know he's not a Christian, but but I'm I love him. I'm going to marry him anyway, and I'll lead him to the Lord. And let me tell you, it never works that way. You're going about it backwards. You see, when God gives us specific instruction, like somebody saying, "Well, you know." Uh, I, I'm going to pray about getting baptized. You don't need to pray about something God already told you to do. It's time to stop praying about it and just do it, because that's what God has decreed. Now, turn to Joshua. I want to give you a third example. Joshua chapter number 7, and the third example, the third time that we need to stop praying and take action is whenever we ought to reckon with sin. Joshua 7 and verse number 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Now, we've seen an example from Moses, and now we see an example from his successor, Joshua. And remember that after God had given them the spectacular victory at Jericho, and boy, I mean... Every little kid knows that story. It is exciting. It's uh, it's faith-building. It's inspirational to think about what God can do, uh, even with all of the odds against us. And now with that great victory under their belt, they turn their attention to a little, a little town by the name of Ai. And this is just a little town. It's so small that they decide that instead of dispatching our entire army against this little town, we're just, we're just going to send out a, a few. And, and, and so that's what they did. I don't remember the exact number. You can read it there in the early part of that chapter. But they send out only a few, a small part of the army. And it results in 36 men being killed as a result of it. And, and they're beaten back. They're, they are defeated. This is amazing <laughs> that that the people in that little town could defeat the, the the same army that just defeated Jericho. Now, when this happened, it compelled Joshua to start praying. And you read about that in verse number 6 through 9. Joshua rent his clothes. He's 
tearing his clothes. He's in a he's in, in a state of turmoil and brokenhearted, and he fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. He and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua uh, said, "Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites and to destroy us?" Question mark. Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Let me tell you. You start saying stupid things whenever you get discouraged. And they are discouraged at this point. Joshua is discouraged. Uh, because, I mean, something that is seemingly impossible just happened. And now they're going to be the butt of every joke among the nations. That Israel couldn't even defeat the little town of Ai. And so he is brokenhearted, and here he is on his face before God. He's torn his clothes, thrown dust in the air, and in agony, praying to God. And instead of encouraging him to pray, what does God do? God tells him, stop what you're doing and go deal with the sin that's in the camp. There was sin in the camp. And, and, and he said, neither will I be with you anymore except ye destroy the accursed from among you. In other words, all of your efforts are going to be in vain if you don't take care of this sin problem. And so, well, you know the story how Achan had there at Jericho, everything was supposed to go to God. Uh, God had told them, now later on you can have the spoils of war, but at Jericho all of those things belong to me. They're going to be the first fruits, as it were. And so they all belong to me, don't take anything. And instead of obeying God, Achan saw these things and he thought, you know, who's going to know? He, who's going to know? So he takes some garments and he takes some silver and he takes some gold and he hides it uh, in his tent, under the floor of the tent. So he, he thinks nobody knows, but God knows. And God reveals the information to Joshua, and Joshua then is forced to go and to deal with that issue. You know, Joshua could have suggested to the people, look, we have suffered a horrible defeat, and what we need to do is pray more. Uh, he could, even even discovering what the problem was, he could have said, our dear brother Achan has committed a horrible crime. We need to all get together and pray for him. We need to pray him on through to victory. And yet that's not what God told him to do, right? I mean, here's another example of, of something that seems to be extreme on God's part. God purging the sin out of the camp, and it ends up, this family is put to death and burned. I mean, look, God's not going to tolerate that kind of, uh, of foolishness. And so, consequently, it was time to stop praying and deal with the sin issue. Now, let's go to one more. Jeremiah chapter number 7. In fact, we're going to look at several verses in Jeremiah, uh, just different places. It'll just take a little while. Jeremiah chapter number 7, verse number 16. Keep in mind, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. He loves his people. He is brokenhearted more than anything. He wants to see them turn to God. God has sent them, uh, him to them. And uh, God, and by the way, and God has offered them a way out. 
God has been willing to forgive them and to help them, and yet they refused in, in every instance. And so finally, finally, they cross the deadline and they get to this place, verse number 16, Therefore, pray not thou for this people. Neither lift up thy cry, nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. Now look in chapter number 11, chapter number 11, and verse number 14. Just in case you might think, well, that's just one isolated verse and we misunderstand it. Verse 14, Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up a cry or prayer for them, For I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. Now, one more, chapter 14 and verse number 11. Chapter 14, verse 11, And then said the Lord unto me, Pray not for this people for their good. Now, I want to be very careful at this point because I don't want to, I don't want to confuse anyone. I don't want to discourage anyone from persisting in prayer. But since this is in the Bible, I'm obligated to tell you that there are certain instances where people have so sinned against God, they have so hardened their heart against God, that judgment is sure and prayer is useless. They cross the deadline. Back in the old days, many Many years ago, whenever, you know, the troops would be out and at war and uh, they would take prisoners and naturally they didn't have a jail to put them in or anything like that. And so they put all of them out there in one little group and they drew a line around them. And that, they called that the deadline. And anybody step across that line, they were executed right there on the spot. And it's possible for us to cross God's deadline to the point, remember Pharaoh Hardened his heart against God. I've heard people, you know, just really critical of the Bible and critical of God, where it talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Well, he did. But you need to read the whole story. God hardened his heart because Pharaoh had hardened his heart against God. The same thing's true when we come to Romans chapter number 1, where it talks about God giving them over to a reprobate mind to do those things that are not convenient. So, in other words, people decided, you know, they made the decision, they made the choice, this is what we're going to do. You see, sin has its own built-in punishment. And they determined, this is what we're going to do. Regardless of what God said, we're going to do this. And so God says, basically, help yourself. Help you. If that's what you want to do, you go ahead. But you're going to get hurt. And so here we find that Israel has reached that place to the point that now he tells Jeremiah, don't even pray for these people. Now, I've got to confess, I am as confused about this as you are. So, you know, so don't come to me and ask me if you ought to stop praying for a person. Uh, I believe that we ought to persevere in prayer for people unless God makes it clear that we shouldn't. But if and when God reveals that our prayers are useless, we ought not to cease praying about the matter. Now, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I've got to tell you that I, and I think we ought to be clear about this because we can't just depend upon our feelings and we fall into that trap far too often. You know, we might even get angry towards someone 
And we might conclude, well, it's just useless. They are beyond hope and, and just give up on the person. I'm not even going to pray for them anymore. I want to tell you right now, if God doesn't, if God's not the one telling you don't pray for them, you need to keep praying for them, you know, whether you think it'll do any good or not. That's not the point. And so, you know, I keep praying for America. I've never had God come to me, you know, and say, all right, it's time. I want you to stop praying for America. You know, God's never said that to me. I don't think he said that to anybody here. Uh, So we ought to keep praying for our beloved nation. But in this instance, God, and remember, this is before the completion of the Bible, and God is communicating through his prophets, and God tells him, I want you to just stop praying for the people. Well, you know, I think about America and how deeply concerned that, that, that I am and, and I know that you are. We're concerned about our nation, concerned about our leaders. And we know that if something doesn't happen, that eventually, remember, we reap what we sow, right? That's what the Bible teaches. That's true of nations, just like it's true of people. And the Bible warns us over and over and over about sin, and uh, America, if, if there's not something that happens, America eventually will reach that point of no return uh, to, where, to where there's no hope. Until then, we need to keep praying. But listen carefully now. Instead of praying, I want you to think this through. Instead of praying... For God to spare America, because God's going to be able to do that only so long. Instead of praying, you know, God spare America, we need to pray, God change America. Because change is our only hope. I mean, it's got to come because the righteousness of God is going to prevail, and ultimately, eventually, God's going to say, enough is enough. And by the way, I want you to think about this also Whenever you pray, God, God save America, or God bless America, why do you want God to spare America? Why? And I'll bet you could come up with several good reasons. And most of the time, our reasons are actually of secondary importance. Let me tell you, and sum this up and put it in a nutshell, if our main concern is not for God's glory, if that's not the main thing, then we're off base and our prayers are going to be worthless. When we think about the nation of Israel, remember, they're not just any nation. They were a special nation. They are God's chosen people in the sense that God had chosen them to represent Him among all of the other nations. And if they're not going to do that, if they're not going to reflect the glory of God to those heathen nations that they might come to know Him, there was no reason for its existence, you see. The same thing's true of a church. If we're not, if we're not going to do our best to to carry out the Great Commission, there's no reason for us to exist. I mean, as much as we enjoy it. We can say, oh, dear Lord, we enjoy the, you know, we enjoy the singing and the fellowship and so on and so forth and the social good and the benevolence and all of that. All of those things are important. And yeah, but they are of secondary importance. And for me to pray 
and have as my only motive, oh dear God, save America because I want my children and my great-grandchildren, I want them to grow up and to know the America that I knew. I, I want that for them. Now, there's not anything wrong with me feeling that way. But that can't be my primary motivation when I pray for God to spare America. America has to be changed or eventually America will have to be destroyed. The same thing's true in churches. Remember there in Revelation chapter 5 and the seven letters to the seven churches. And the first one is to the church at Ephesus. And there God levels the charge against them that they have left their first love. It didn't say they've lost it, but they've left it. They're no longer as expressive of their love for the Lord as they once were. They've lost their zeal, their excitement, their enthusiasm. And what does God say? He says, basically, repent or else. And here's what He tells them. You either repent or I'm going to come and remove the candlestick out of this place. It's, it's like God writing Ichabod. The glory is departed. It's like God writing Ichabod over the door. God saying, I'm moving out. I'm moving out. You can go ahead and conduct your services, sing your songs, preach your sermons, have your, have your spaghetti dinners, and you can do all of those things if you want to. But I'm moving out. I'm taking my candlestick, the light of my presence, uh, out of this place. That can happen to churches. Churches do die. Churches go out of existence. And so we most certainly need to pray for our church. We need to pray for our nation. But we need to pray that there will be a change, that there will be a change that will, that will enable God to be merciful. Remember in, in Lamentations chapter 3, and I think it's in verse number 20, where speaking of Israel, and it says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Now think back to that time there in the wilderness, and all of those over 20, God said, all right, I'm through with this generation. You're going to die in the wilderness. You'll never enter in. But God wasn't through with the nation. He was just through with that generation. That generation wouldn't get with the program. They wouldn't follow their orders. They wouldn't do what God wanted to do. And so God says, I'm through with you. You die out here in this miserable wilderness. But God wasn't through with the nation And we find as we go there to Lamentations, and here Jeremiah is pouring out his heart, and he says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. And so we as God's people, whenever we realize, and if change doesn't come, eventually we're going to reach the place where our prayers will be futile. It'll be no, it'll be to no purpose for us to pray, God save America after we cross that deadline. Until then, keep praying. Until then, keep working for change. Until then, keep witnessing, doing what you can, because that's our only hope. The Bible tells us if we're not going to listen to God, He won't listen to us. We talked last week about that great, inspiring invitation in Jeremiah 33.3, where he says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. What a wonderful privilege prayer is. 
But if we don't pray, if we don't pray, we can get to the point to where prayer will be of no benefit. That's, that's scary, is it not? To think about getting to that place that God says, enough is enough. There's no need to pray any longer. It happened in Israel's day. I'm not telling you that it has happened to America, but I know that we, we need to pray and do our best so that God might truly be able to spare America and, and bless America again as He has before. All right. Let's all stand together.